This is the Goodfeller Show with Matt Gefeller. Extraordinary tales from ordinary males. Only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. T.S. Eliot well, Welcome to another episode of The Good Feller Show. I'm here with a good friend of mine, Tyler Nation. What's up, Tyler? How's it going? Glad to have you on the show. Glad um, to be here. We just got done skiing a couple days out here in Utah, and I wanted to hear some of his story. Tyler's got a lot of really cool um, adventures and stories under his belt at this point, and uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about mountaineering in Bolivia. Uh, I had the chance to go with you, I think it was 2018, when we went to Hidden Valley in Virginia, and that was, well, other than Pilot Mountain. Anybody in the Piedmont, Pilot Mountain is a great place to cut your teeth on uh, mountain climbing. And um, wouldn't you say that's probably one of the easier places to get started? For sure, yeah. Great access. Uh, It actually holds the statistic for the most visited rock climbing area in North Carolina. It is crowded. It's crowded uh, during the peak times. If it's nice weather, it's going to have people out there. Yeah, it has great access close proximity to the Piedmont and a lot of uh, top rope anchor places. Uh, so you can set up a top rope rather than leading the route. You can uh, just top rope it, which is uh, much safer. So yeah, it has a lot a lot going for it to make it a really popular rock climbing area. That was pretty fun. And then our trip to Hidden Valley in Virginia, that was outstanding. Great place to go. Got my first scare there on some sandstone that I didn't realize was as soft as it was, but Thank goodness you knew what you were doing and um, caught me from that, uh, I guess it was probably 100, 100 feet or so. 100 foot, yeah. Most of the routes out there in Hidden Valley hover around uh, some 50, 60 foot, but I think the one we were on was around 100 foot. Yeah. Yeah. It was right up at the top when it broke loose though. But the, yeah, that certainly scared me, but um, I'm not the mountain climber. Tyler is an expert at this. And so why don't you just go ahead and uh, give us a spill and tell me about your trip in Bolivia. Now keep in mind, Tyler, you lived, how long have you lived in Chile? You lived in Chile for a while. Um, off and on for the past uh, five or so years. So in 2016, I went and spent about half the year down there predominantly in Chile, but a, a bit in Argentina on, on another trip I was doing. And since 2016, I've spent about half of the the year or half of each year uh, down in South America, predominantly in Chile, but also in Peru and Bolivia a bit as well. And what are you doing mostly? I mean, I know, I know you like to climb, but... Um, uh, mostly rock climbing, uh, traditional rock climbing, some sport rock climbing, um, usually look for multi-pitch, so longer routes. Um, but there's also great access for traditional mountaineering, uh, a little more technical mountaineering, backpacking, a bit of paddleboarding. Uh, there's a wide array of activities for sure uh, throughout the continent, but particularly in, in Chile and Argentina. 
Nice. Uh, a little bit of freelance guiding, um, but a lot of just personal travel and exploration and gaining uh, useful information to utilize in, in a leadership role uh, for various adventure travel companies that I've worked for and hope to work for in the future. One more thing before you get into Bolivia. You went, was it last week you were in Colorado, you did the AVI course, the Avalanche I was, safety. yes. Mm, exactly. So uh, middle of January, I did an avalanche, uh, just an Airy one, which is the, the entry-level avalanche uh, safety course. It was run by Irwin Mountain Guides out of Crested Butte, Colorado. And yeah, just a phenomenal uh, course. Again, it's an entry-level course, but with a multitude of uh, uses and so much information surrounding uh, that course. Is that, I guess that kind of better qualifies you to like be a guide for more things and sort of open doors? For sure, that, so that course is uh, definitely a, more a, on a recreational level uh, for backcountry snow travel, not just for backcountry skiing. You know, you could split board, you could do snowshoeing. Um, there's, a, there's a variation of the course, um, or it might be the same one with just kind of different goals. Uh, surrounding snowmobiling as well. Um, nice. So yeah, there's a number of courses like this AVI course, uh, various rock climbing, mountaineering uh, courses that can be utilized for uh, recreational activities, but then also the higher or more technical uh, courses you take will then you know qualify you for um, a position in in the outdoor industry depending on your discipline or your interests what does something like that cost um it, it all depends on the the course itself the duration uh how technical they are as well as the company running them the avi course um the airy one that i took is actually one of the most economical per like professional development courses out there um, i believe it was about four 25 for three days of instruction, which is a pretty That's good not bad deal. at all for three days. Definitely not, especially since the instructor is an AMGA, American Mountain Guide Association certified guide. So you're getting guided instruction from a certified guide for a very economical rate. Uh, some of the rock courses that I've taken and I'm also interested in and uh, alpine courses as well uh, put on by uh, a ton of different um, mountaineering companies around the country can be more expensive just because uh, the technicality of the terrain you're traveling in requires a certified guide and certified guides are, are not necessarily cheap, but well worth the money. Yeah, I mean, that's something I'm sure a lot of people don't even think about, but uh, interesting to know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's fascinating. Without any further ado, let's get into this story of mountaineering in Bolivia. Let's do it. So uh, around, I want to say probably June 2019, while I was uh, working for an adventure travel company, uh, as I usually do in the summers, I, I reached out to one of my uh, best climbing partners uh, in Chile. is a Chilean guy named uh, Vincent, or Vicente. And uh, I reached out to him and asked if after I finished the, the 2019 um like adventure travel season, if he would want to join me in a Bolivian mountaineering trip. I asked, you know, where you'd want to go, and we both quickly settled on Bolivia due to the price point, access, and quality of mountains in close proximity what, to What range Lopaz. is that? 
right there in Bolivia. Um, is that so, uh, basically from the northern part of the continent all the way down to the southern tip, uh, the Andes run the length of okay. uh, South America, but we were in a kind of like a subsection of the Andes called the, the Cordillera Real, um, which is similar in many ways to the Cordillera Blanca, which is in Peru. Um, but we decided to uh, explore Bolivia, partially because I had been there previously in 2017 for a short trip, but also due to the fact that it's a very economical place to travel and the access is pretty phenomenal for these massive mountains and La Paz, which hovers anywhere from uh, 3,300 meters to 4,100 meters, so anywhere from like 10,000 to 13,000 feet, uh, makes it an ideal place to acclimate for, for a trip such as this, which was focusing on high altitude mountaineering. Is that, so the difference in like mountaineering and just mountain climbing, what makes one mountaineering or is it the high altitude? Is um, that what you're referring it, to? It could be the altitude. It could be the difficulty of the terrain. Um, generally in, in, in most cases when you're mountaineering, you have some, some degree of glacier travel and some degree of technical, um, technical climbing, um, associated with the summit. However, due to global warming, many, uh, very popular traditional mountaineering areas, not only surrounding Bolivia, but throughout the, throughout the, the entire world, um, uh, many glaciers are receding or disappearing altogether. So many traditional routes that require just a little bit of, you could say, hiking on a glacier with crampons and maybe an ice axe uh, have turned to just basically high altitude hiking. That's, that's also the case in northern northern Chile, northern Argentina, southern Peru, also southern Bolivia. But those peaks that we were uh, seeking to summit were mainly traditional mountaineering peaks that have established uh, quality but fairly easy uh, routes up them. But what you're doing, this ain't for noobs. It's um, one thing to go to Pilot Mountain, but you're doing another <laughs> level altogether. This is true, this is true, but a lot of the skills and rope systems and technical aspects of what one could do at a place like Pilot Mountain on on just rock uh, can be kind of segued into a mountaineering trip or um, an alpine rock climbing trip or all these other types of uh, climbing disciplines that kind of pivot or play off of the skills from from other disciplines so although it's very different going to pilot mountain and and then going to bolivia uh you can practice a lot of the same skills at both both uh both areas so how'd this trip go oh my gosh it was phenomenal but one of the best trips of my life we ended up spending uh about a month and a half in and around la paz bolivia and we ended up summiting i believe 10 different routes. We repeated some of the same peaks, but choosing harder routes after completing easier or the normal route, you could say, on certain peaks. Um, so the trip started out with myself, Tyler, getting there uh, three or four days before my buddy Tente, Vincent, Vicente, uh, to find us a, a really conveniently located hostel and kind of getting the lay of the land, figuring out uh, easy transportation, 
uh, as well as economical transportation to a lot of... What kind of, of money are we talking about to get there? Like, did you fly in? Um, or? Yeah, so I flew from the east coast of the U.S. I flew, I believe, from Greensboro to Miami, and then Miami to Lima, shortly over in Lima, and then on to La Paz. Flights are super cheap, generally from uh, northern South America to most of the U.S., especially Miami. There's just, like, a really good... Uh, kind of travel travel hub in between um, those parts of South America and Miami. Yeah, I've noticed quite a few decent flights to Lima. I know you can get a flight there for under $400 from North Carolina, which is pretty insane. Definitely a steal. That's a long ways to go. Definitely a steal. And then your hostels, what... I mean, I know those are cheap. Uh, yeah, I've stayed um, in quite a few myself. I'm, I'm not, uh, as you could say, like an elegant or, you know, a kind of a very needy guy. I can I can definitely travel bare bones, you know, backpacking and doing long stints in the backcountry make it so time in the front country is easily enjoyed with just the basic necessities. So if if that's kind of your uh, your speed, then then you can find a really cheap hostels, not only in Bolivia, but around the world. But our, our hostel included breakfast. Uh, it was a private room with a, a couple beds for my buddy and I, and it was around six or seven bucks a night, so. Perfect. Very economical, right near one of the main uh, gondola uh, stations. Uh, so you were able to get kind of into the mountains via the gondola? Uh, no, not necessarily all the way into the mountains, but uh, due to how crazy some of the traffic can be in uh, La Paz, um, it's really convenient to take the gondola. Uh, I think there's about eight different gondola lines that are all interconnected in some way that take you from the valley floor all the way up to the rim of the city. Um, La Paz is essentially like one massive bowl, and so that's why there's uh, such a such a uh, varying elevation um, throughout throughout the city so we would usually take the gondola because it was fairly cheap it was a couple bucks per ride and we usually had a ton of stuff with us when we were heading in into the back country or or back into the front country from uh from a stint uh summiting some peaks what time of year did you go so it's been a month yeah we uh we were there a month and a half i got there right at the end of august and uh then we stayed um we actually were there from mid-August until the end of September. And the high season for this type of mountaineering, as well as uh, high-altitude rock climbing, uh, in Bolivia specifically, is anywhere from... I mean, you could go late April, but most people go early June into August. And then kind of like a, a buffer of a month on each end of the season is usually, uh, usually assumed as, as okay as well. And then in Peru, um, the season's just a little shorter, but it, it's pretty similar to the Bolivian season. These areas uh, fill up with, with tourists and mountaineers and international travelers, and it's nice to not be on um, semi-technical to very technical mountaineering routes uh, with a lot of other people, but due to just the added risk of having someone above you or below you uh, while you're, you know, doing uh, more technical sections of the routes. I don't even like to be on the highway with with, oh, man. with less technical folk. I hear you. So we chose to go uh, a little late or at the, the tail end of the season to avoid crowds. A lot of times... 
Um, well, to give a, a, a brief rundown of the peaks and the specific sub-ranges that we were exploring, uh, our first outing was to the Condoriri, uh, which is uh, a play on Condor, which is a kind of like uh, this this national symbol throughout the country. Uh, condors are just beloved, massive birds. Um, but we, t- we went to the Condoriri range and summit, summited uh, Pico Austria, which is like a really mellow um, high altitude hike essentially due to the fact that there's no s- snow or glaciers on this route. And then we summited uh, Pequeño Alpamayo, uh, which was just a day summit out of base camp as well. And then we ended up heading back to La Paz to regroup, rest, and then uh, we decided to go and summit um, Huayna Potosi, which is probably the most popular peak in that area. Um, That was definitely where we saw most people um, summiting and and climbing. Uh, We ended up doing it fairly slow to continue to acclimate and uh, successfully summited Huayna Potosi. Again, returned to La Paz to regroup, resupply, and rest a bit. We headed back to the Condoriri range to summit uh, the Cabeza de Condor, which is kind of like the quintessential peak in this in this valley. Very successful summit. We actually had a, uh, quite a bit of snow on us. So uh, for certain sections of glacier travel, the crevasses were actually covered with snow. So we had to uh, be extra cautious while uh, crossing sections of the glacier, but uh, again, a successful. And you summit. hadn't had your avalanche training yet, right? That yeah. would have come in very exactly. handy. Exactly. So that uh, <laughs> little bit of extra knowledge uh, surrounding avalanche awareness and safety would have been would have been really nice to to have at the time. But luckily, uh, there were some other mountaineers in the area, so we were able to dis- discuss the risk and uh, kind of work through that together. Um, we also summited uh, a different route on Pequeño Alpamayo, the direct route along the south face. And then again, returned to the city, regrouped, resupplied, and headed uh, to kind of like a lesser known and lesser tr- uh, visited uh, sub-range of the uh, Cordillera Real called uh, Quimsa Cruz, which is an area full of alpine granite for alpine rock climbing. Uh, summited three different peaks there, following three different established rock climbing multi-pitch routes. Again, returned to the city, regrouped, and resupplied for kind of like the final uh, summit objective, which is Iyimani, uh, Ilimani, uh, as some some people say. It's the, I believe, the second tallest peak in Bolivia. Uh, it hovers just over 6,400 meters, which is... Uh, just under 22,000 feet, I believe. Yeah, that's way on up there. Oh man, it was phenomenal experience. Uh, really, really um, isolated compared to Wainaput to see and Condoriri, so it was a longer travel day to get to the trailhead. Did you struggle with any like lack of oxygen issues, or were you pretty good? Um, luckily, I had been to that area before and suffered from altitude sickness a bit due to the the like the quickness of our, 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 our outings. And I had also been at altitude uh, a number of times, uh, previously around Chile and Argentina. So for this trip, because we wanted to be very successful, uh, Vicente and I, we decided to be very, very cautious or, or, 
we're extra conservative with our acclimation schedule. So we were doing everything very slowly and, and spending extra time resting and just hydrating and hanging out in La Paz. So we actually hardly ever suffered at all from any symptoms of altitude sickness. And by Idimani, which was the tallest summit that we went for, um, we were feeling great and had no problems on the route. And well, for yeah. the, the extreme amount of things that you've done in, in your lifetime, you're very disciplined. And I guess you have to be when you're doing something as dangerous as mountaineering at 22,000 feet. For sure. It takes a lot of preparation, a lot of logistical precision, and just being cautious, you know? Uh, not only putting yourself in risky situations, but knowing how to manage that risk in a, in a safe way, or as safe as, as one can manage the risk. So how did you get into rock climbing? What, was, uh, what, what got you headed down that path? Well, it's actually pretty interesting. So when when I was younger in high school and then segueing into college, I was a really avid backpacker and I always thought it would be cool to to do do some mountaineering or or do some more high altitude backpacking, but I thought that to do those types of activities and to pursue those types of objectives, it's it would be necessary to have some working knowledge of rope systems. So I actually got into rock climbing as a segue into mountaineering, which is ultimately what has happened, but due to my love and passion for rock climbing and just how enjoyable of an activity and, and, and a hobby it, it can be, it's kind of taken the limelight over backpacking, over mountaineering, over all of these other activities. Um, You've been all over the world, it seems um, like. I've, yeah, I've, I've been a fair number of places for being uh, uh, a pretty young guy. I think, uh, let's see, states, I've climbed a number of places throughout the states, both, both on, on the east coast and the west coast. I've, I've climbed considerably in Chile, and a bit in Bolivia, a bit in Peru, a bit in Argentina, Morocco as well, phenomenal place to visit and climb. Spain and Italy. Yowzers. You oh, really have been. You've been more little, places than you've told me about. A little bit in France <laughs> and and in Hong Kong as well. I, I lived for a short That's period awesome. of time in Hong Kong and that was probably one of the most surprising places that I've climbed probably. So yeah, those those would be the, the ones, the current uh, the current list. What's your next big, uh, big uh, adventure? Well, uh, due to probably pretty soon, um, maybe June of this year, 2021, uh, I would I would like to visit an area in the Wind River Range in Wyoming called uh, Cirque of the Towers. It's got some phenomenal alpine uh, multi-pitch rock climbing. So that area, as well as uh, a couple different um, specific faces and peaks in Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. So those are kind of the two main spots that are that are on the agenda um for rock climbing specific objectives just the fact that you went to bolivia is is a big deal but then you went mountaineering i mean you've been all over the world mountaineering and, and rock climbing and um just a really cool story you got going on there um, yeah, definitely happy to share and uh hopefully it, it, it inspires some someone maybe to to pursue those types of activities as well because man it's a great great way to see see a place, uh, experience a culture, interact with uh, local populations, for sure. 
Cool. Thanks, man. Well, it was a lot of fun hanging out with Tyler. I mean, he's a pretty gnarly dude. He's been all over the world doing a lot of cool outdoor activities. It wasn't hard to trust him when I went climbing with him in Hidden Valley. He's experienced, he's disciplined, and he knows what he's doing. Tyler set up the top rope and anchored it so that it would be secure. And when you're climbing, you'll run the rope through the anchor and back down to the bottom. And whoever's at the bottom will hold that anchor line. And it's called belaying. So you belay the other person as they climb. It just gets rid of the excess rope and it keeps it tight and snug in case you were to have a mishap or a fall. I was almost at the top when I grabbed a bit of sandstone. Not the best choice as it broke off in my hand and I fell nearly 10 feet before he was able to keep the line tight and keep me out of harm's way. I was able to get back to the rock. There was a good jug, which is a, a nice shaped piece of rock and easy to grab as far as a climbing term. I was able to grab that and make my way to the top, smack the anchor, and then rappel back down to the bottom. I still have that piece of sandstone today, just as a reminder. I couldn't help but think of Matthew 7, 24 through 27. That's the story of the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man built his house upon the solid rock. The foolish man built his on the sand. Anybody who's ever been to Sunday school has got to have sung the song, The Wise Man and the Foolish Man. And when the rains came, what did it do? The foolish man's house tumbled, but the wise man stood firm. Being a little bit of a new rock climbing, the sandstone was very foolish for me to have grabbed. It would have made more sense to have grabbed the piece of granite. But I lived and I learned. It was an awesome experience. Just like that anchor saved my life that day. Hebrews 6.19 says that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. God is our anchor. The Bible is granite that we can use to reach the top. What mountain are you facing or are you worried about this year? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Are you willing to risk following God to find out how far He wants to take you this year? In the words of the great Hannah Montana, there's always going to be another mountain. There's always going to be an uphill battle. It's the climb. Keep the faith, baby. <laughs>